This is Greeny with Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on ESPN+. Plus. Happy Wednesday, one and all. Good morning, good morning, good morning. The 28th day of September 2022. Dan Gross is sitting in for Greeny for the next couple of hours right here on 98.7 ESPN. You know the drill, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number if you want to get me on Twitter, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. We got Anthony Pusick, we got Ray Dinahan. They're along for the ride as well. And we're rolling right up until noon. Then Barton Hahn will grace the airwaves with their fine radio program. Little chill in the air this morning, little crisp, little cool, nothing wrong with that, but you can tell that October is right around the corner, and that is our one place to start. It's brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, and we know now officially that the New York Yankees are going to be a part of October baseball, and they are going to be doing so as the American League East Division champions. They sewed that up last night, knocking off the Toronto Blue Jays 5-2 and capturing the American League East Division Championship. And it's funny because, you know, as we've been going through this whole Aaron Judge pursuit of the home run record, it's almost like the actual wins and losses in the games themselves have taken a back seat. You know, like we've talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. It's like, okay, all anybody cares about is Aaron Judge and him hitting the home runs. And maybe you would have thought that it was a formality that eventually the Yankees were going to win this division because the lead was sizable over Toronto, Tampa, who Whoever was going to be the nearest suitor there. But you still got to win these games and you still can't rest until the job is officially complete. And oh, by the way, now it is finally complete. And more importantly, they get a bye in the first round of the American League playoffs, which I think is super important when you think about what this team is hoping to accomplish and get back to that elusive World Series for the first time since 2009. So you still got eight more games to play. But we'll see October 11th when you're talking about the Yankees and their postseason quest, which will begin in that division series round, round number two, whoever their opponent is going to be. And look, it's not going to be easy. You know, we're going to have plenty of time between now and the 11th of October, essentially, you know, two weeks before we decide, you know, how the Yankees stack up. Who would you rather see in that second round? How is the pitching rotation going to be aligned and so on and so forth? But having that extra week to do nothing and to just kind of rest your guys and to line up that rotation as you see fit for Aaron Boone and company, I, I think that's huge for this baseball team because, look, let's be frank, they're going to go into the playoffs as not the team to beat in the American League. I don't think that's any secret. That's going to be the Houston Astros. And I think that there's other teams in this American League that might even be better equipped to make a deep run through the month of October than the New York Yankees. I mean, don't sleep on the Cleveland Guardians. You know, Cleveland's pitching is superior to the Yankees, first and foremost. And in a short series in the playoffs, pitching is the name of the game, and that is what you want. Plus, Cleveland, I know that they have youth, and they're the youngest team in baseball, but sometimes that could be a bonus for you in these situations. Like, you don't know any better. So you're not going to allow the enormity of the stage and the situation to kind of just engulf you. You're going to go out there and just play, because you've never been here before. And oh, by the way, they have a superior manager in Tito Francona, so don't sleep on the Cleveland Guardians. You know, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to get Tyler Glasnow back tonight. He's going to make his return to the mound from Tommy John surgery. Now, he's not going to go pitch six, seven innings, and he might not even be a starter come playoff time. But he is going to be a valuable weapon that Kevin Cash and company can deploy at any point in the game to give you two, maybe three innings. And think about how Andrew Miller was used for Cleveland when they went to the World Series in 2016. Like, that type of an arm is going to be dangerous. Yankees are not blessed with a litany of arms. They're just not. 
You know, and it was interesting because lost in the shuffle of that game last night and in that victory, Jamison Tyone, you know, pitched another pretty good game. And when you think about him and you think about this starting rotation, like, okay, who do you really trust? Right? A couple of nights ago, it was Nestor. And he's had a fantastic season, even though that this is like uncharted waters for him and we haven't seen him pitch deep into a season before and certainly not in the playoffs. But is Nestor a guy now that if you're a Yankee fan, you're trusting him maybe even a little bit more than a Garrett Cole? And I know that that sounds crazy to say because, you know, Garrett Cole has the resume and Garrett Cole's got a $324 million paycheck and all of those things. And Cole's going to go tonight, by the way. But think about Cole and the struggles that he's had keeping the ball in the ballpark, right? You don't have that fear, at least now, with Nestor Cortez. And I'm not sitting here trying to convince you that, you know, Jamison Tyone is any sort of an upgrade over Garrett Cole, but, you know, Tyone has played himself into the conversation where maybe you feel slightly better about him than maybe you thought all throughout the season. Severino, you know that he's got great stuff, but he's going to have to be a guy that you rely upon here. And even though the division is clinched tonight, and even though you got everything wrapped up, you got your bye, and everything is situated. You look at the start for Garrett Cole tonight, and you say to yourself, I need a big performance from him. You know, I don't know if they are going to maybe tinker the rotation for the final week of the season, and now that they know when they're going to pitch and when they're going to play, if maybe they kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit, and you're not going to maybe see Garrett Cole make two starts, I don't know. But tonight's going to be a big one, because Toronto needs this game. Toronto is trying to seal up a playoff spot. They're trying to grab at least that number one wild card berth in the American League. So you know that they're going to come out trying to win this game. And you want to see a good performance. And Toronto's got guys, no secret, that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And if Cole has another stinker tonight where he gives up, you know, let's say two, three home runs, you going to really feel confident going into next month and going into the playoffs? I don't see how you can. You got another big game last night from, from Glaber Torres. When it comes to swinging the bat. And I've been talking about it on my shows. Glaber Torres is the X factor, I feel, in this lineup. If you can get Glaber Torres rolling like he has for the last few weeks, I think it completely changes the way that you view this offensive attack. I really and truly believe that. Back before the pandemic hit, you know, in 2019, when he had that unbelievable season, you thought you were looking at a future MVP. He was that good. Remember how highly coveted he was? And then when they got him, and then you started to see that talent manifest, and you're like, wow, they, they, we got ourselves a star on our hands here. Last few weeks, he's starting to look like that player. And he's kind of gone on hiatus the last couple of seasons, but you know now he's starting to get it back. And my gosh, if you can carry this into October, and now you know what you're going to get from a guy like Judge. You know that Rizzo has been there before, and he's got the pop to hit it out of the ballpark. You know, you hope Stanton gets a hold of one every so often, but, you know, he's fighting it right now. Who knows about DJ LeMayhew, if he's going to be back in there, and then if he is in the lineup, what state is he going to be in? You know, is that toe and that foot going to be a problem for him to where he's only half the DJ LeMayhew we're used to seeing? But Glaber Torres would lengthen out this lineup. And that is another guy that if you're an opposing team getting ready to face the Yankees, you got to worry about. You know, like the joke about Aaron Judge in this home run pursuit has always been like, oh, well, why would you pitch to anybody in that line? Or why would you pitch to Aaron Judge? Just go deal with somebody else in that lineup. That's all you have to worry about. Well, now if you got a guy like Glaber at the very least, you got to think twice about it, right? You know, it's a different strategy when you're trying to plan beating this baseball team. So from a wins and losses standpoint, things are good right now for the New York Yankees. 
You got 95. You know, if you feel that it's important to make a charge and win 100 games, we shall see. But I don't know if that is going to be of the utmost importance if you're Aaron Boone. You have to ask him, right? Because those plans could change. You still got one more here with Toronto. Then you come back home for Baltimore this weekend. And then you got to go to Texas next week and play four games. I think personally, they're probably just going to rest some guys, get them off their feet, even configure the rotation and the pitching to where they're not going to tax these players and make sure that they are as fresh as possible come October the 11th. And that's a good luxury to have. It really and truly is. I mean, you play 162-game season. You know, you're at this thing since late February, the beginning of March, not just April. You know, tack on an extra month or so from when spring training begins. I mean, that is a long time. It's a long year. It's a lot of baseball. So I know people think that, oh, you know, that 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 buy, it, it's going to disrupt the continuity. You know, you're going to lose your rhythm. I don't see it that way. I really and truly don't. The pitchers are going to benefit from it. Nothing wrong with having a fresh arm this time of year. And I think that the hitters, you know, it it, it can get them maybe a little bit more fresh when they step into that batter's box. And, you know, they're not just going at it time and time and time again. Although Judge now is a completely different story, right? That's something that is a conversation in and of itself. And quite frankly, I didn't think that we would be sitting here still talking about this. I thought he would have had the record wrapped up already because now we're going on seven games. And you have to really legitimately think, okay, if you're Aaron Boone, it goes back to what we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago. You've got the division wrapped up already. The only thing left to play for is personal history and an individual record. Is it really all that important? Because I'll ask you as a Yankee fan. If Aaron Judge does set this record, and I say does now when I open the possibility because I don't even know if it's a sure thing. I, I, I truly don't. I didn't think he'd go seven games and not hit a home run. So the possibility exists that maybe he's not going to do this. But let's just say that he does. And what happens in this pursuit of 62 if it completely runs him dry and he's completely spent emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever? He's never going to admit to it. But what just happens if he completely empties the tank trying to hit this record? And then when the playoffs roll around, he goes up there and he can't get a hit. And he's not walking either. What's the narrative going to be about Aaron Judge's 2022? You know how Yankee fans are going to be. If the Yanks get bounced in the first round, Aaron Judge can't hit his way out of a paper bag. What are they going to say? They're going to say, oh, you know what? All he cared about was that damn record. I don't care about a record. I want to win. I want to go to the World Series. October is where you're judged more than anything else. No pun intended. Is there a fear that that could take place? And that might be the reality all offseason? And then you're going to have the Yankee fans who's going to say, oh, you know what? Let him, let him leave. Go sign someplace else. All he cared about was the record, not winning. He's not a winning ball player. You know that you're going to get a few of those yo-yos. You will. Judge is stuck on 60. Seven straight without a home run. And the interesting thing about it, like if you are a stickler of history, baseball history, Yankees have played 154 games already. And if you remember, you know, for a little while there, when Roger Maris hit 61 in 61, you had that little asterisk tied to it, right? Because back when Babe Ruth hit his 60 in 1927, he only played 154 games. Maris, of course, in 61 played more than 154. Baseball landed games by then. So in terms of a buck 54... Yanks have done that already, and Judge has his 60 home runs. So he's like right there with what Ruth accomplished, 154 team games. So good for him. But he'll never admit to this. But do you think that he's feeling a little bit of this pressure? Only because, like, you got the Maris family there. 
watching his every waking move. And don't you think that it's a little bit coincidental that since the Maris family has been on hand for this judge home run record pursuit, judge has not hit a home run. First game that the family was at was last Wednesday. Judge has not hit a home run in all of that time. And how much like how much longer is this thing going to go? How much longer is it going to take, right? And more importantly, like how much longer is the Maris family going to be like traveling and walking around and you know the, the, the chronically? It's like they're uh, groupies on a, uh, a a tour from a rock band. You really think they want to do this though? Like think about it. It's like oh we and and then they have to schlep up to Toronto. It's one thing they fly into New York, you go to Yankee Stadium for a few days, you know, you sit in a nice suite, you eat that nice carving station food that they have for everybody in the suite, you feel good or whatever, but then then they have to like get on a plane and go to Toronto? I mean, you cross the border, you gotta go through customs and all that, they didn't fly with the Yankees, I can promise you that. You know, they're not sitting there in the middle seat next to Aaron Boone, that ain't happening. But they gotta be like, you know, enough is enough. Real, I mean, like, rearrange your entire lives for two weeks over a guy to, Willie or Woney, hit a couple of home runs? Can't they just record a video? You know, it's 2022. Guys, think about the advancements in technology and think about how even when the world shut down a couple of years ago, how we were able to continue on with our lives and all these things that we found out we could do. You mean the Maris family can't get in front of a damn iPhone? And just, you know, they could send it, email it to the Yankees, text it to Brian Cashman or something, and then when he hits the home run, they could put it up on the Jumbotron. Hey, Aaron, congratulations. Sign the Maris family. Sorry we couldn't make it to Baltimore and to Arlington because we have lives. Unless, and you'd have to ask them, I think they've kind of hinted at it as well. Maybe it carries a little bit of extra special weight in all seriousness that they feel that this is the real record. They're not going to, they're not, you know, they don't acknowledge McGuire and Sosa and Bonds and that they feel once somebody legitimately hit 61 and hit 62, that that was indeed going to be the true falling of this record. And so I'm sure they want to be on hand for it. Plus the Yankee uniform. I mean, that carries a little bit of extra weight as well. But what I said a little while ago about, you know, the situation with Judge, I mean, if you're a Yankee fan, do you really want him emptying the tank here? Just to try to hit a couple of more home runs with the playoffs not that far away if he's going to have nothing left when October rolls around. Here was Judge after last night's game because he's not hitting home runs, but he's walking a hell of a lot. Four more last night. Nothing wrong with on-base percentage. Helps you win ball games. What about his patient approach? You know, it's the stress of my teammates. You know, I know the guys behind me are going to go out there and do the job. And, you know, my, my ultimate goal is always to go out there and win the game. You know, I'm not focused on the past, not focused on the future. I'm focused on what I can do tonight, what I can do in the box to, you know, help the team win. If it's me taking a walk, if it's me hitting a base hit, homer, whatever, you know, I'm going to go out there and do it. So, you know, it's having that focus and having the trust in my teammates. I think that's what ultimately drives me day in and day out. And I give him credit for not just swinging at bad pitches just for the sake of trying to hit a home run and try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. I do admire him for that. But at the same token, you're just like, all right, all right enough is enough here, right? I mean, is this going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And if you're Boone, you know what? When do you think about getting this guy off his feet? Maybe give him a rest. Like tonight, for example, is it really the most outlandish idea in the world to rest Aaron Judge tonight? Given the fact the Yankees have an off day tomorrow, he'd get back-to-back days off, and then the Orioles come to town on Friday, you get three more home games, and maybe he'll be a little bit more fresh, and maybe he hits a couple out, and everybody could pop their champagne, and the Maris family could go back to living their lives, wherever those are, and get ready for the playoffs. 
Wouldn't that be a novel thought? Anyway, let's go to the phones. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. Sonny's in Long Island. First up here, 98.7 ESPN. Sonny, how are you? Good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. How are you? Good, son. What's going on? Um, You know what? I understand about since last Wednesday he hasn't hit a home run. But I've noticed the last couple games, it, it looked like he stopped chasing. I think he'll be fine and no one has to panic. I just don't understand why, like, I under, you see how you just say you give him credit for being a good teammate and saying the right things. What's more important, winning as a team together or a, a, a stupid home run record? Well, you know that's what? Sonny, I'll tell you what. To me, it's obviously winning games, and that's what I alluded to a little bit earlier. It seems like the bigger picture was lost during this chase. Now, look, it's rare. It's not every year that you're going to get a guy who's going to possibly be on the precipice of history and do something that hasn't been done that often in the history of the game. Never been done in the history of the American League, potentially. So, yeah, that's important. But still, I'll ask you the question, right? I'm not a Yankee fan, but I know a lot of you guys are. If Aaron Judge sets this record, let's say he finishes exactly with 62 home runs, and the Yankees go to the playoffs and they lose in the first round to either... Pick your team. Tampa Bay, Cleveland, whoever. And if they're out in five games and Judge maybe gets you know one or two hits in that series and really does not have much of an impact, how are you going to feel about the season? How are you going to feel about the season? I, I, can, I can already script what the conversation is going to be like on this radio station all throughout the winter. It's going to be, uh, l- let, me, let me get the order straight before I, it's going to be fire Cashman. Number one, I don't trust Brian Cashman to remold this roster. He's had 20 years to do it. Let's be fair, since the last World Series. you know He's had close to 15 years to do it, and they haven't gotten back. Then it's going to be, you got to fire Aaron Boone. You need a new voice in that locker room. The guys don't respect him. They're tuning him out. They don't play hard for him. That's number two. And then probably... I don't know if it's going to be three or maybe a little bit further down on the list. It's probably going to be, let Aaron Judge leave. Let him go sign with the highest bidder. Let him go back home and play for the San Francisco Giants. I wouldn't pay him all that money. He's not worth it. He comes up small in the playoffs. I could script it already. I could guarantee that's what's going to happen. 800-919-3776. Right. As, as, as Ray said, if George was alive, that'll be right there, too. If you got to throw in the if George was alive. If George was alive, this would never happen. Never. If George was alive, Judge would have 70 home runs already. Yeah, George would, George would be down there helping Aaron with his spring, with his swing. Well, George Costanza would, not Steinbrenner. <laughs> Claude in Long Island City, he's up next on 98.7. Claude, how are you? Good, good, thank you. Um, with Everyone brings up the matter of uh, performance-enhancing drugs, but who's to say that Maris and Mantle and those guys weren't doing it either? Because back in the day, it's, it's common knowledge that amphetamines were, you know, they were in candy bowls in the locker room. I mean, it, it isn't Adderall a banned substance? That's exactly what amphetamines are. You know, after the war, it, it, was, it was considered like the, you know, super drug, basically. Well, I mean, Claude, if you think about performance-enhancing drugs, and look, a lot has been said regarding that era in base, not even the, the, the pre-steroid era. I'm just talking about like the 90s into the 2000s, what has now been known as the steroid era. 
You think about that time in the sport. Let's be real. I mean, ballpark figure. What would you say the percentage of players in Major League Baseball were at least using something, whether it was steroids, whether it was amphetamines, whether it was whatever during that time period? Would you say maybe at least 40 percent, maybe even close to half? What do you think? More than half, I would say, especially if they're just I mean, I'm speaking more in uh, about the let's say uh, amphetamines because it was it was just. You know, out there on the candy bowl in the middle of the training room, it was like that your trainer would would ask you if you wanted some greenies, or they were just there for the taking. So if everyone else is doing it, if I'm in the locker room and all my half of my teammates are popping a greenie, you know, so am I. You know, if I had a rough night of partying, which was legendary for some of these ball players, I don't want to name names, but you know, some of them have world's you know home run records. If I got in at 2 a.m. and I got a, you know, 1 p.m. game, I'm popping a greenie, you know? So I think it was more commonplace than steroids was, you know? So it, it's a moving, it's a moving target. The, uh, you know, just uh, the banned substances. So next year it'll be something else, or in the next few years it'll be something else. Well, the thing is they, they, they were way. supposed to clean, and Claude, thanks for the phone call, and look, I mean, we spent years and decades talking about PEDs in regards to baseball and so on and so forth and all the records that fell because of it and 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 so on and so forth. Bottom line was, you know, the holier-than-thou approach, that came too late. Because everybody that wanted to crack down and ban all these guys from the game and not honor the records and throw them all out of, the ba- out of baseball, throw them all out of Hall of Fame and uh, essentially banish them. The hypocrisy of it is grand. Because the guy who was the steward of the sport during those years, the commissioner, right? Is he not in the Baseball Hall of Fame? He knew what was going on. The owners knew what was going on. Everybody knew what was going on. And they all turned a blind eye to it. You know why? Because from a public relations standpoint, people were talking about baseball again. McGuire and Sosa, they were captivated by that home run chase in 1998, right? All the national TV outlets, news, sports, whatever, even the Weather Channel was talking McGuire-Sosa. And it made baseball a hot sport again in the wake of the player strike in 1994, which blew out the World Series, among other things. So then you have this stroke of genius and stroke of luck happen, and now people are talking about the sport again. That's why they let this go on. And fans were eating it up. And ballparks were full again. And, and revenue was pouring in. That's why they knew. So like everybody that wants to ban the steroid guys from the Hall of Fame and Bonds and Clemens and all this and, and, and whatnot, you know what? The commissioner of the sport is in the Hall of Fame. And this all happened under his watch. You got managers, whether it's Bobby Cox, whether it's Joe Torre, whether it's Tony La Russa, you got managers from that era who all won games because of contributions from guys who were taking performance-enhancing drugs. They're in the Hall of Fame, but yet we're going to keep the players out. How's that right? How's that fair? 800-919-3776. Eitan on the cell. He's up next here on 9870 ESPN. Eitan, how are you? Good. That call, uh, Claude, I had steam coming out of my ears when that call went through. Uh-oh. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, is that when you had greenies, no records were, I mean, yes, you had Maris, but the base, the records weren't at, totally out of whack. 
You didn't have uh, any records totally out of whack with the pitching. You didn't have any records totally out of whack with the hitting. The only time that you had records that were totally out of whack was from 1995 to 2002, which is obvious because of the steroids. So to equate the two things together are absolutely ridiculous. And I say this not caring if those guys make the Hall of Fame. I'm just saying that the, the example is just a ridiculous Example. The other ridiculous example in that era is that pitchers were doing it too. Well, nobody got 400 strikeouts. Nobody had 25 wins. So it's obvious when the pitcher and the hitter does it, the pitcher has the advantage. I'm so sick and tired of those stupid arguments. They have no. They have no uh, intellectual. Wait. So so so. Uh, wait a uh, sec. Just just so we're clear, you don't think that the pitchers benefited from that in any way as well? They may have benefited, but not nearly as much as the hitters did. Oh, you, you the really? Yes. You don't think so? How do you explain how do you explain Roger Clemens' career revival at at you know close to 40 years of age and what he did in the late uh, seasons I'm of his career? Saying, I'm not saying that there weren't exceptions, but but there weren't many many there weren't many pitching records broken. Nobody had 25 wins. Nobody had yeah, but who cares? strikeouts. But but, but it, it accumulates though, Aton, and thanks for the phone call. Like I said, and take Clemens for an example. You know, remember when, he, when the Boston Red Sox thought he was shot, right? Dan Duquette, who was the general manager at the time, when they thought that Clemens was shot in the mid-90s, he was coming off of four, I would say, mediocre seasons at best. And I think mediocre will be putting it kindly. And he was already 33, 34 years of age. At that point, they thought he's not going to be a frontline pitcher anymore. So what happens? He goes to Toronto... He wins back-to-back Cy Young awards. He's winning 20 games. And then he goes to the Yankees and, and starts dominating down there. Then when he's 40, he goes to the Astros, wins Cy Young's down there, and starts dominating. All those strikeouts, all those wins, all those things, that gets tacked on to his statistics, doesn't it? And it helped him climb the rankings with the all-time greats and so on and so forth. So it applies. And I'm not saying he's the only one, but just to use him as the glaring example because he's the one that stands out more than the rest. Look, it happened, right? People knew it was going on, and you can't just erase it from the memory. That's the only point we're trying to make here. And that's why the people that maybe are kind of trying to conveniently forget that era of Major League Baseball, you would think that they'd be jumping on this judge record and this judge pursuit with both feet, thinking it was the greatest thing in the world because judge is doing it clean. He's doing it legitimately. 800-919-3776. So we'll see what happens, right? We'll see if Judge is indeed maybe going to get a night off. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Give him two days, recharge the batteries a little bit. Then he's still got seven more games. He should still be able to get this record. Should. But you could be like that now because he got the division clinched and he got a first round bye. We'll move on from the Yankees stuff. We got to talk about the Mets. Because I don't think I'm putting it mildly. I think there is a decent, considerable segment of the fan base for the orange and blue, which are starting to have thoughts right now. They watched that game last night. They watched the opponent that was on the field last night. And you know that the thought of, here we go again, must have been going through their minds. Like, what is it about the Marlins? Why is it every single time it seems like the Mets are close to seizing an opportunity? And you would think that it's a fait accompli that they're just going to walk out there and take care of business. Here come the lousy, stinky, crappy Marlins to throw a wrench into their plans. 
It happened last night. Who knows what's going to happen tonight out at City Field? And I even said before that game even got underway last night, I said, if you are the Mets, here is the goal for these two games against the Fish. Don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap and don't get caught looking ahead to Atlanta Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Take care of business against this baseball team, which is essentially already with one foot out the door and one foot on the beach, the golf course, whatever, for their winter plans. The manager is already gone. Manningly ain't coming back. This team is just playing out the string. And what happened last night, before you were even in your seats, Carlos Carrasco already gave you a sizable deficit that, quite frankly, the bats, despite Pete Alonso, couldn't recover from. And then it just got worse. So the Mets, they wake up this morning, a week left in the season, seven games to play, and they're tied for first place. Now, some of you may feel that, you know what, wouldn't have it any other way. It seemed like we were destined for this, despite the fact that they had that big lead, which seems like ages ago, in the division. You felt that Atlanta, since June, and Atlanta's been the best team in baseball since the beginning of June, that they would be chipping away, chipping away, and eventually... They would get close enough to where you knew that series down in Atlanta this weekend was going to mean something and in all probability mean the division. But it didn't have to come down to this, right? It didn't have to. And I understand the Braves kind of stubbed their toe a little bit here, right? They lost to the uh, Nats the other day. It happens. But when you see this from the Mets and you saw what happened last night, and by the way, let me just say this first and foremost. I don't know how you guys feel. There's this question as to who was going to be that fourth starting pitcher for the Mets in the postseason. It can't be Carlos Carrasco. It can't. It just can't. I was on Team Taiwan Walker all season anyways. Last night just sealed the deal. Carlos Carrasco, the knock on him has always been somebody who doesn't trust his stuff out on the mound. He doesn't. And you saw last night, it was too much with the off-speed stuff, afraid to dial in that fastball. And as soon as he was traded over here a couple of years ago, I know some people over in Cleveland that watched him his entire career. That was the first thing they said to me. Sometimes he just doesn't have faith in his pitches. And he's afraid to go with maybe what he should be dialing up there. Well, you know what? If that's happening in the month of September against the Marlins, a team that is a dead team walking, what's going to happen in the playoffs? When you're playing a good team, right? When you're playing a top-notch team and he's afraid to go with the stuff that maybe is the best plan of attack to go after these hitters. Is that the guy you want on the mound in a big spot? I just always felt that Taiwan Walker has more of that like bulldog mentality in him. And that's who I would be giving the ball to as a you know fourth-game starter in whatever series the Mets are going to find themselves in. But why is it time and time and time again? It's the Marlins. You're watching this game last night and you just get like... Deja vu vibes from 2007, that final game of the season with Tommy Glavin, who the Mets were losing and the game was over before you were even in your seat. You know, I'm looking up and down on that Marlins lineup last night. I'm expecting to see Hanley Ramirez's name in there and him to go out there and get a big knock because that's just what it felt like. 2008, remember when they closed Shea Stadium? They closed Shea Stadium and couldn't even win the damn game just to keep their postseason hopes alive that day against who? Marlins. Guess again. And that's why it was kind of funny. I mean, if you look, if you look at what this Mets team has done at home, 
just in the month of September against these also-rans. Okay, remember, it's supposed to be easy. Supposed to be easy. Lose two out of three to the Nationals. Get swept three games by the Chicago Cubs. Now lose a game to the Marlins last night in the first of a two-game series. So against those bottom feeders in particular, the Mets are one in six. And now you're sitting here sweating out a division. And you're tied with the Atlanta Braves because you just lost six out of seven games against some of the worst teams in baseball in your building in the month of September. Oh, yeah, okay, I know. You swept the Pirates. Imagine if they didn't sweep the Pirates. Imagine if they didn't win all four of those games, what we'd be talking about right now. But I got to tell you, if you're a Met fan, can you feel confident? Can you? Now, you know, they have had this bounce back ability. That's one thing that I will acknowledge. Right? They have been resilient. And you kind of joke about it that, well, as long as they don't have to play these crummy teams in the playoffs, they should be okay. Which, you know that they're not going to. They do seem to rise to the occasion, so that gives you a little bit of a lift. But you know what? This series coming up this weekend, who knows what to expect? Like, what are we going to get now because of this hurricane? And how that could be inconvenienced. And look, sports is going to be secondary, but, you know, we send all of our prayers and, you know, hope everybody is okay down there in the south. And as this storm comes up the east coast, I mean, we're just going to get rain when it arrives here. It's not going to be anywhere near as severe as, you know, what the people are happening down there. But the Mets Brave series in Georgia is going to be impacted. So you don't know when they're going to play it. Um, you know, they're talking about different things. They might um, play that Friday game in the afternoon instead of Friday night. That's one of the possibilities that's being discussed. Saturday doesn't look too promising, and they might have to play a doubleheader on Sunday. Or the other possibility is if they can't get one of the games in, that they're going to push it to the end of the season. Imagine if that's the case, where because of the new tiebreaker rules, there's no more game 163. You're not going to have to play like a one-game thing. But essentially, if that happens with the Mets and the Braves, that could be for the division. And it can't be said enough. The Mets have to win this division. If they want to finish this thing off and make a deep run and go to a World Series, I do not, I do not see this team going far if they have to go the wild card route. I don't. It compromises your rotation. It doesn't give you the upper hand in any of these matchups. And it would really be disappointing, right, to have a season like the Mets have had. And you know what? The Braves are probably saying the same thing, too. You're going to win in the neighborhood of 100 games. And you may not even have a division title to show for it. Now, it's not anything unlike what happened to the L.A. Dodgers last year, right? Because the Giants won 107 games, Dodgers won 106 games, and that's how the NL West was decided. And the same thing, I mean, both Mets and Braves aren't going to win 107, but they're probably going to at least hit the century mark. And one of these teams is not only not going to be a division champ, they're not even going to get a first round bye. And that's what baseball incentivized when they said, yeah, we want you to win your division. There is going to be a little bit of extra perk for doing so. The bye, that's a big one. So Pete Alonso hits that home run last night, and you're thinking, all right, it's 4-3, a little bit closer. And he's had a phenomenal year. Had a phenomenal year. He was asked, what is it like being in a highly contested race right now for the top spot in this division? 
This is fun. I mean, this is really, really fun being in a, in a race like this. And every day uh, is a chance to be great. So uh, tomorrow is another chance uh, for us to be great. And we just want to continue to uh, play the great baseball we've been playing all year. So I know that uh, we got a big series coming up with a lot of stuff. But realistically, like we're just ready to focus up for tomorrow because tomorrow's game is just as big as every game in the future. Yeah, and who would have thought a game against the Marlins was going to be that big like this? Was he checking the scoreboard at all? Was he watching the Braves annihilate the Nationals last night? How about that, Pete? No, nah, not really. I mean, the biggest thing is if, if we win, that's the that really takes care of itself, and it really doesn't matter what they do. So we just need to do our job and focus, uh, focus where we're at one game at a time. See, that's why you have to take these circumstances on a case-by-case basis. Because if it's any other franchise then maybe has a little bit more of a winning tradition. Maybe you're not panicking as much, right? Like if it's the St. Louis Cardinals, for example, who've had the same exact season as the Mets and are now, let's say, neck and neck with another team to try to win this division. You say to yourself, well, that's baseball. You know, the other team is really good too. But you're the Cardinals. You've won World Series. You've won pennants. You've won divisions. You know, you're used to good things happening to you. Mets, it's the complete opposite. I don't have to remind you what the history of this franchise is. You go to City Field and you look up at the, the, the rafters or wherever they have all those like banners or placards or whatever they are with the postseason appearances. I mean, you can count on, you count on one hand. Not many. Not many great moments in Mets history, at least in terms of team achievements from season to season. I don't have to remind you that. And it's like you're just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And if you want to even go by like recent history... Why are the Marlins always like the thorn in their side? It could have been any other team. Like, I'd feel better if, you know, at least if it was a winning team that came in here and shut the Mets down last night and gave them fits with the bats. But not the Marlins. The Cubs coming in here in September and sweeping them. Nationals taking two out of three, like we discussed. You know, and not for nothing. I mean, we're sitting here and, you know, hoping that they can steal this one tonight. Hoping... They get at least one out of three down there in Atlanta so they can at least get the tiebreaker. And then what happens next week with those three games against the Nationals? Like, are you really and truly confident that they're going to be able to take care of business against those guys? Takes a special person to be a Met fan. It does. Special individual. You got to have that resiliency. You got to have that faith. You got to bounce back because nothing's easy. You know, look at the other team, the Yankees, for example. They got the division clinched already. And their biggest concern now over the final week is, is Judge going to hit two more home runs or not? Mets, meantime, who I think, think still, are a better team than the Yankees are. And yet they're sitting here fighting for their collective lives, trying to fend off the Atlanta Braves. Fighting for their lives. And the difference between the Mets and the Braves are, I'd say it's a big one. In the fact that Braves know how to win. Guys in that clubhouse, they know what it takes to get it done this time of year. You know why? Because they're the defending world champs. And before they won that World Series, they still won four straight division titles. They got that killer instinct, right? They got that edge. May not even be as talented a team, 1 through 25. But they know what it takes to get done. 
and the Mets went out there in the offseason and they brought in all these guys and, you know, Max Scherzer in particular, a guy who's a World Series champion in his own right, a guy who's pitched in a ton of big games. That's why you're giving him $43 million a year and he's been fantastic this season. But you hope some of that mentality would rub off on the rest of the guys in that clubhouse. Maybe guys who haven't had that success yet. Guys who don't know what it takes in October to win big playoff games. Right? This is why you bring a Max Scherzer onto your team. But other guys have to follow suit. You know, and Carlos Carrasco can't have an outing like he had last night. He just can't. And he's been generally good this year but you're only going to be remembered for what you do in that last spot and now it's on to Taiwan Walker Taiwan Walker needs to go out there and put up a zero in the first inning tonight as simple as that just put up a damn zero and then let the bats go to work they cannot lose this I'll make a prediction right now and you could hold me to it you could save the audio whatever if the Mets lose tonight again to the crummy Marlins They're not winning this division. They're not winning this division. You know what? If they lose tonight to the Marlins, you might as well just go get swept in Atlanta. Because how confident are you going to be? Even though the Mets are going to have their rotation lined up the way you want it down there. With Bassett, DeGrom, and Scherzer. Take care of business tonight. It's the Marlins. It's not that difficult.